Well, good evening, everyone. I'm glad you're here for our special joint use service. I always love these times where our community churches can get together and just worship together and be emblematic of what God desires for the entire church, especially as we do it here around Christmas. It's just such a wonderful time as we celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And you know, I hope you all still get excited about Christmas. I realize you're kind of in that age where maybe some of that childhood excitement has wore off, but I still hope there's still an innocence and an energy with you. And even with the adults that are here with us, I hope that it's present in you, just like when you were four years old. But I also know how busy and fast Christmas comes and goes. We sometimes wake up on December 26th, the day after Christmas, and we feel like, or at least if you're like me, you feel like maybe you didn't take in the joy and the wonder like we should have, and maybe you're right. Maybe we haven't done that. I was reading the story the other day of a street performer in Washington, D.C. I think most of you know what that is. These oftentimes very talented musicians who go out onto the streets of a big city and they sing or they dance or they play some type of musical instrument. And this particular person was playing a musical instrument, actually was playing a violin. It was a Friday morning in the middle of Washington, D.C.'s morning rush, one of the busiest times of the day. And there was a white man in jeans and a baseball cap. He pulled out a violin from its case and he began to play. And that morning, as he played, over 1,097 people passed by. And like many others on the streets of busy cities, he was hoping to make a few extra bucks. But this man was different. You see, no one knew it, but this person playing this fiddle or this violin, standing against a bare wall outside on Washington's busy streets at the Metro Center in an indoor arcade, at the top of some escalators was one of the finest classical musicians in the world. He was playing some of the most elegant music ever written on one of the most valuable violins ever made. This guy's name was Josh Bell, and three days before he was playing, largely undetected in this metro center, he had played at Boston Symphony Hall to a completely packed and sold-out house where seats were going for an average of $100 a night and many much more. And the violin he played alone was worth $3.5 million and it had been handcrafted by a legendary instrument designer, Antonio Stradivari. And so throughout this morning, though, only seven people stopped to listen at all. Only 27 people gave any money. Over a thousand people never even stopped to acknowledge the musician. In fact, they never even turned to look. Now, why tell you this story? Well, something similar happened 2,000 years ago. The creator of the universe came as a baby in a feeding trough, and very few people even seemed to notice. Because God chose to not enter the world as a conquering king or a triumphant hero, but he came as a baby born in a dirty stable because there was no room in the inn. Here's the biblical story from the Gospel of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, 
to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. That is the main meat and potatoes of the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. Thirteen verses, brief and yet remarkable. You know, much is made of the commercialism of Christmas, and this is certainly something we need to be aware of. However, that drum has been beat so much that it has perhaps become a little bit of a cliché. Frankly, while it is important, it's too small. Because for the follower of Christ, the great concern is to make sure that we understand the magnitude of what Christ did at Christmas. So let's discuss perspective very briefly. You have Mary, of course, the second most famous person in the Christmas story next to Jesus. She was young. Most people think she was probably around 16 years old. She was betrothed, which is much more than our typical modern idea of an engagement, but she was not yet mar uh, married. She had seen an angelic vision telling her that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and she would conceive a child supernaturally in her womb. And so she was pregnant now with the Messiah. Then we have Joseph, Mary's husband-to-be. He was also young. He was betrothed. He discovers his wife is pregnant and is very concerned about this revelation. But then an angel appears to him in a dream, telling him to not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. For both of them, Mary and Joseph, they have to embark on a journey due to a census that was going to be taken. When they arrive in Bethlehem, there's no suitable place to give birth to a baby. So they have to go into a stable of sorts. A lot of people believe it was a cave where animals stayed. There were shepherds in the field nearby that are told by angels to come and visit them, and they do. They go visit Mary and Joseph. Later on, when Jesus is older, wise men or magi come to visit them. Then they have to flee to Egypt for safety after being warned by God in a dream to do this. And finally, they settle in a little town called Nazareth, a rinky-dink town with a very bad reputation at the time. In Galatians 4, which the Apostle Paul wrote, if you're familiar with him, he writes in verses 4 through 5, 
When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You know, in the Bible, the narrative, the story of the entire Bible makes a lot about timing. It makes much of timing of when things happen and when they don't happen. God is moving all of history to accomplish his will. When Jesus was born, the Jews were under Roman occupation, Roman control, and Rome was approaching its zenith. For those of you who are interested in history, you know that there has no empire up until this point as mighty and as powerful as the Romans were. Jews had been given eventually an exception to be able to worship how they saw fit. They didn't have to proclaim Caesar as God, so they could still worship the one true God as they saw fit. Something called the Pax Romana had emerged, this Roman peace that had brought largely peace to the known world, which was something very uncommon and very unusual. There were no conquests going on, no major wars, so Rome was using its resources to build all sorts of roads, so travel was easy and safe. And this was that time where the famous phrase, all roads lead to Rome, was coined. By 350 B.C., much earlier, Alexander the Great's conquest had unified much of the world under Greek language, Greek thought, so more people could read. The New Testament was written in Greek and was immediately accessible to almost everyone. And Greek philosophers had raised questions about life and meaning. And some scholars say that Greek philosophers had plowed the fields for Christianity and Christ sowed the seeds of meaning. All of history had been moving to this singular point, even though there were some events that to us may seem insignificant, God had brilliantly orchestrated for such a time as this. You know, Mary and Joseph were daring, courageous, and brave. And we often speculate about what they might have thought, but Scripture presents them as faithful, obedient, humble lovers of God. God accomplishes his purpose at just the right time according to his will. And this is one of the great mysteries and one of the greatest things that's almost incomprehensible that God invites you and he invites me to join him in his work. Regardless of your intelligence, regardless of your ability, regardless of who you know or who you don't know or what you've done or what you will do, God invites you to join him in his work. And I love what Mary said in Luke 1.38. She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Complete and total obedience as Mary gave herself to God. In one of the greatest most and most memorable scenes in television history, Charlie Brown is having a rough Christmas. He's lonely, he's miserable, his friends are giving him a rough time, and even his dog, Snoopy, ignores him. Finally, the last straw is drawn when Charlie Brown goes on a mission to find a Christmas tree, only to return with a sorry, scrawny twig that can't even hold the lightest ornaments. Some of you have seen this. And in a fit of frustration, Charlie Brown finally has had all he can take, and he throws up his hands and he says, Can anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? 
Charlie Brown's friend Linus walks up with his trusty security blanket in tow, and he confidently says, Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. The lights on the stage go out, and the spotlight turns on Linus, and he begins quoting from Luke 2, 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This show first aired on December 9, 1965. CBS at first thought it would be a flop, but half of U.S. televisions tuned in the first year, and ever since, it has become an iconic Christmas mainstay on television. But an interesting fact, as Linus quotes from the biblical story, when he shares the opening words of the angel's message, Fear not, he drops his precious blanket, as if to say to all of the world and to us, a new era has begun. No more fear, for Christ has come. Written by Charles Wesley, the great preacher and hymn writer, every word he penned was rich and full of meaning with Christ's coming, and all of the Charlie Brown Peanuts characters joined together to sing, Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. You know, friends, we have a gospel to share that goes beyond a manger. Jesus came, he died, and he rose again. He was resurrected. That is history. But when we realize that Jesus came and he died for you and he died for me, that is the gospel. And I hope that that is a story that you hear in your hearts and that you believe and that you go and tell and do in both word and service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. And Lord, we know that the words have been brief, but so was the Christmas story, but its impact completely turned the world upside down. God, I pray for those who are here, for those who are listening, that if they don't know you, that you would impress upon them their need for Jesus, their need for a Savior, and that you would reveal themselves to you, that you would reveal yourself to them, rather, and that they would come to faith in the Savior of the world the great good news of Christmas that you proclaim to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.